0: Welcome to the Fanboy Strike Back Weekly Review Podcast, Episode 28.
1: fanboy strike back weekly review podcast i'm david I'm eric and uh we are the fanboys of strike back we love comments we love reading them writing about them talking about them fighting about them everything and uh Every week we come here to the podcast and we talk about the best book of the week. We also write a review of that best book on our site, fanboystrikeback.com. And then we come here, we talk about that best book, all the books that came out. We talk about a little bit of comic news. And uh, we're actually going to go a little bit deep with the top five today. We're going to talk about our top five most influential moments in comic book history, which this is going to be a hard one. And um, with that being said... Eric, you had the choice this week for the best book, and I think you are pretty happy with your choice, yes?
0: I am. This is this is a big moment for me.
1: Long time coming?
0: It Oh, man, you have no idea. Nightwing number 141 by Ed, Peter Tomasi uh, and Regs Morales. Thank God for these guys. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, DC. Thank you for everything that this book is, because I am just loving this so much that my boy Nightwing is finally getting some respect in his own book. He's He's been well written in almost like all of his guest appearances, but his book has just lacked sorely for a good long while, now, ever since one year later, I'd mm-hmm. say, and even probably a bit before that. But it seems like at, when they made that jump, that was the one book that I was less than thrilled about the direction it went. And really, the direction wasn't that bad. It was just poorly written. Like, it could have been better, but it just wasn't. So, uh, I, I've been ranting and raving on our podcast and on the website, but I really think Peter Tomasi is, uh got to be one of the bigger up-and-comers uh, who's going to be yeah. one of the next generation of big writers. The way he's already writing several DC books, I think he's going to be kind of a protege to Jeff Johns. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he, he, he can do it. He can totally fill these shoes. And uh, what I'm loving about this book so far, it's not been incredibly action-heavy, which I'm assuming that'll pick up probably soon as the storyline develops more, but I've already said how when each new writer comes on to Nightwing, they kind of want to reset their own status quo and get things going their own way, and, and I'm fine with that if it's in capable hands, and that's what it is, but uh, this book was just a lot of fun. There was a lot of guest appearances in this book uh, with Superman, the Justice Society, uh, John Stewart's Green Lantern. Uh, it, it was just kind of fun, like to see how the rest of the DCU react, or acts around Dick Grayson, who really is kind of a linchpin that no one seems to recognize, so right. it was it was nice to see that the investigation uh, with the storyline on someone is abducting bodies out of the cemeteries of uh, dead villains and heroes, and something's happening to them, and so that's what Dick is investigating, and uh, it's it's just been fantastic. Reg Reg Morales art. It, I love it. Like I loved it in Identity Crisis, for the same reasons I've said over and over again. Is it's not superhero-y It just looks like normal people, and I don't know. They're not all incredibly attractive, and I, there, there's just something about there's a realism about it. And so how
1: long have they been on Nightwing?
0: This is only the second issue that they've been on Nightwing. So if okay. it's still a really good jumping on point, if probably the best one would be issue number one forty if you can find it, but you can you can still jump on with this point and uh this this issue the thing that really made it stand out to me the most was there was a scene with uh wally west coming to visit dick grayson and the fact that these two are best friends and it's rarely ever kind of drawn out or or spoken of or anything like that and wally has come back you know ever since the lightning saga and there hasn't been a, a meeting between the two of them just to say hey you know good to see you again and that's what happened in this book and it was it was the old Wally West. It was, you know, we're not being burdened down by family and kids and stuff like that. But it was just fantastic to see. The, it's just two buddies, you know, two buddies that, like,
1: right. they're going
0: to kick back, just catch up, you know, have a drink, you know, stuff like that. And it's and it's great. They're sitting at Dick's house and they're saying, you know, here's the old friends. And Wally's talking about how his family and he loves him. It's the best thing that he's ever happened. And, you know, Dick's saying, you know, he had the last person he thought would be that way. And then they kind of raise the glass to that, and, and they had a nice little moment where Dick raises the glass and said, and here's to Bart. And Wally kind of pauses for a second, and he says to Bart, and they have a, a little toast to him. and You know, just to kind of say that, hey, you know, Bart Bart played his role, and, and we still miss him. I like that. Right. But uh, it, it was just a fantastic book. There was great interactions between Dick and Bruce, and it was just it's just a well put together book. I'm just I'm just ranting all over this thing now because it's fantastic. <laughs> but
1: um, you've gone I'm, from one extreme to the other. I have.
0: I am really excited about this. Yes, and uh, I I really strongly recommend anyone to go out and maybe pick up this issue and the last issue if you can because it's a great starting on point. It looks like it's going to be a really interesting and fun story. Um, there, there's nothing nothing bad about it from my point of view. I know a lot of people have been kind of iffy like. Well, how come there's not any action and you know stuff like that? Well, give it time; it's building, you know. Right. right. You know, and yeah, I'm I'm the guy who's saying, okay, well, I I totally read a book of just like, you know, these guys sitting around and talking, you know. I don't I don't want them rehashing old stories, but it's like, hey, you know, I can or just hanging out with friends and stuff like that. I'm I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. But I know there's gonna be action, and anyone who doubts that Tomasi can write it, look the Black Adam series.
1: All right. Well, going from. A book that was bad, that got good. Uh, Let's talk about Uncanny X-Men number 495, because that kind of took the reverse turn to that angle. See,
0: I had no interest in picking this up. This this is not one of the post-Messiah storylines that I'm interested
1: in. Yeah, well, interesting, because Uncanny is a flagship title, and this is the first book that came out post messiah complex and there's really no mention of the messiah complex no no further information at all what we get in this issue is scott and emma are vacationing in the savage land and that's pretty much it awesome oh um, <laughs> yeah it, you know you know with the, the professor dead or
0: on his deathbed or anything like that is the best idea to really disband the X Men and go on vacation?
1: Yeah, and see that's the thing is that we've been here so many times, and I'm not questioning that. You know, you got to spice things up, but Xavier's been shot before. The X Men have been disbanded before. It happens all the time, and I'm not against that happening again because you know it's that's just a, a tool. You know, you know that's something else. They're going to go to separate ways and they're going to come back together again. And I think that I think this issue maybe 10 years ago would have been really good, and this issue not following something as big as Messiah Complex would have been good, but, like, there are some really good parts about this issue. Like, you see, you see kind of Emma's softer side, and you see how much that she really is in love with sky and there's actually a really, really cool scene where, because, of course, they're in the Savage Land, and so they're with Kazar and Shauna, which I've never really had any love for those characters, but... Whenever there's, the Savage Land is involved, you're going to see those characters. And Scott and uh, Kazar are basically just looking at these Triceratops fighting. And you actually see Emma goes into his head, and Emma looks at what Scott's seeing. And you see that Scott's not looking at just two dinosaurs fighting. He's looking at everything from a tactical point of view. So he's looking at what they're doing, their weight, their size... And he's basically analyzing them to see how he would be able to take out both of them at the same time. Which I thought that was really cool, because that's how his mind would work. He's always a leader. And you don't see things like that very often. But there was nothing about Messiah Complex in this, this issue. There wasn't anything really about the baby, about Cable going to the future. They didn't really even talk about Xavier. I mean, Scott says, like, you know, we're not even sure if Xavier's dead. And that's going to, I know that's going to be addressed in X-Men Legacy, because that's going to be solely about Xavier, but I was just so disappointed, and it really, it it really just tainted the whole Messiah Complex storyline, just like, I don't really, after this, I just really don't think it was really good, because there was no payoff, and I'm sure there's going to be something, but we're not going to see that for a while. We have a cool flashback with Scott talking to Tony Stark telling him that the X-Men are officially disbanded and of course Tony's being an ass and trying to say that you know they all need to register and Scott's just saying there's absolutely no way you know you weren't here when all this stuff was happening and so we don't owe you anything and I thought that was pretty cool but it it had such a ridiculous end it ends with I don't even know how to describe it. Angels flying through, I think, San Francisco. And then all of a sudden, everything turns to the 60s. What? Yeah, like, angels flying through San Francisco. And he's normal. Like, he's in the, the modern age, and he has, he has a, his costume and his hair is normal. But as he's looking down, it looks like the world or just the town is reverting back to the 60s. Like, the people, actually. Like, their their state of mind. And so, he's trying to reach out to Emma to tell her that there's something weird going on. And then he, he lands, and all of a sudden, his hair gets long, and, you know, he's wearing 60s clothes and a big belt buckle and all this stuff. And all of a sudden, his mind starts adjusting to that state of, you know, the 60s also. And that's how it ends. And I have no desire to see what's going to happen there. I mean, I'm going to keep reading because it's, un- it's uncanny, but it was just really weird, and it just really wasn't good. And, I mean, it's Brubaker, so I don't want to say anything bad because I love Brubaker's work, but look, well, it's I'm odd really...
0: with, with the success that he has with all his other books, that he just really can't seem to find the right fit for this book.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say, is that, you know, I've I've really tried to be really open to his X-Men run, because it's really been hit or miss, but as of right now, you know, I don't think he has a grasp on the X-Men. Like, I haven't seen anything amazing and stellar come from him on Uncanny. So, I don't know, it might get, it might get better. So, if you're, you know, if you're reading Uncanny, you're gonna read this issue, if you, otherwise, I really, I really wouldn't recommend it, then.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not reading it. So. Uh, the next book I want to talk about is Batman Superman uh, by Michael Green and Shane Davis. And it's, it's good. I'm, I haven't been excited about this book since Supergirl came back. And with this storyline, this is uh, what we talked about a couple of weeks back was uh, Clark and Bruce are on a quest to get rid of all the kryptonite off the planet. They're tracking it down, they're getting all the pieces, they're storing it, and then they're going to probably launch it into space or something like that. So it's kind of interesting. At first they show that how they're... Superman's going after all the big chunks, and he's got a special suit to deal with it, and Batman's kind of going after a lot of the little stuff, and they find all the weird places that it is, and one of the weird places is it's in Arkham Asylum, the Joker has a teddy bear, and inside is a little chunk of kryptonite, and it was just kind of a funny little moment. Yeah. But uh, what they do is, uh, one of them... Oh, also it shows how the Justice League has been recruited to find some of these pieces in their spare time, or, or other heroes, and then Clark is kind of hurt, because a lot of them are doing it to kind of get in good with him, or as a, you know, you rub my back, I rub yours type of thing, and uh, he's like, okay. you know, I, I kind of hope you just do this as my friend, and everyone's like, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure, of course. But, um, they go after this one large chunk that's, uh, in the middle of the ocean, and basically it was, there was a part of it that was near an old underwater city that's been destroyed or something like that they go to remove it and the new Aquaman shows up and he's kind of pissed off that they would even come down there and start doing stuff without asking him or without his jurisdiction and stuff like that that's kind of cool like I'm digging the new Aquaman design and and they haven't really met with this Aquaman very much before and, and Bruce kind of says that and as soon as Aquaman gets an attitude Bruce gets an attitude back with him he's like you're new at this you know don't make me kick your ass type of thing and Clark is like, hey, 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 you know, let's let's work this through. Yeah, But uh, what's what's great is uh, Arthur's kind of like, you know, he's challenging me. He's like, we just, Clark says, we just want to take this piece and, you know, we're, we're trying to do this so I can do my job. So, you know, I can do my job freely. And Arthur's like, well, what makes you think that's what everyone wants? And both Bruce and Clark were like, well, we didn't think that. But Arthur kind of makes the point that the world might not be grateful for a savior, no matter how much uh, Clark thinks that Earth should be, or, or he should just be able to go freely about his job and do whatever he wants, that he's never thought that maybe that's... Maybe the world doesn't isn't begging for him to be their savior. Right. And Arthur kind of throws that in his face, and they get into a little t- scuffle, but uh, in the end he says, you know, do whatever you want, um, just get rid of it, and, and leave my jurisdiction. And so they take it, and uh, they take it, they contain it, and they do as they will. And uh, that's kind of the point that Arthur made. It was, I don't know, it was, it was a really, really good book. Th- they're not going to uh, get rid of all the i just just happy to the, the only thing I don't like about it, it's really just, just really not going to work with a storytelling I just device. read Wizard that we're going somehow. to see the debut of a new Kryptonite vastly color I'm a firm believer of kind of work with what you've got. And it seems like we already have at least three or four different types already that I'm aware of
1: yeah because you know there's a ton more from back in my day
0: well yeah it's it's a silver age thing is when they started introducing a bunch of kryptonite and that's kind of leaked this plan to smallville and all other places so, I don't know i'm I'm not the biggest fan i mm. i think kryptonite is overused as is so but it, needless to say it's a good book again and I'm really excited I think the art is fantastic i I love this artist and so i'm just I'm excited about it it's it's nice to have, you know, a book that you or used to be really excited about when it started and right. to come back to that type of caliber again. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if if someone out there was looking for just kind of a fun superhero book, uh, this is definitely something I would give
1: them. Okay. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't picked it up in a while, so I might go back. Because I used to love the book, but then I got pretty disappointed with it. Well... Miss Marvel number 24 came out and I've never ever read an issue of Miss Marvel but um the rumor was that at the very end of Miss uh number issue number 24 and then in issue number 25 you would find out whether Miss Marvel was a scroll and at the very end of this issue the last panel it looks like Miss Marvel is indeed a scroll.
0: So how do they reveal it?
1: Well, yeah, and you know, again, I've never picked up Miss Marvel book before, so like, I wasn't really following along a whole lot, but the gist of it is that she's battling the Brood, which are, they're an alien race, and I think that she's had a long history with them, but she has, because Miss Marvel works for S.H.I.E.L.D., and there's an agent named Agent Sum, and it looks like he works under her, he's pretty close to her, and at the very last page, after the mission is over um tony stark calls him agent summon to his office and he said i'm going to tell you this you know only a handful of people on the planet know this but the scrolls are infiltrating earth they're already here and miss marvel is one of them and it's your job to basically watch her and to let me to report to me on what she's doing and that was that was how it ends
0: See, I guess it makes sense that she's a scroll, and it's always kind of been like, if there was one, it'd, it'd most likely be her. But still, like with how prominent her character has been since Civil War and House of M, uh, which I guess is where you go back to say where this whole thing started. Mm-hmm. Like she was one of the, she was one of Captain America's pallbearers. Like she's, I don't know, she's been around and still, so, yeah, especially up. especially in the Avengers book where they have the thought bubbles. It's kind of interesting that she'd be a scroll and have some of those thoughts.
1: Yeah, you know, here's the thing: is that I don't know what's going to happen post Secret Evasion, but Miss Marvel has been one of the breakout stars, you know, in the Marvel Universe for the past couple of years. So she's going to have to remain who she is, and I don't know. If this is a red herring, I'm not sure if she's really not a scroll, and this is you know just going to be some kind of mystery. But she's become a huge character. She's had her own title for the first time in years, and obviously Marvel's not going to mess with that. So,
0: and uh, aren't scrolls and Kree's like major enemies? And she's teaming up with Captain Marvel. Yes, in his
1: she's book. she's I think she's she's always had you know she is Miss Marvel. She's always had a connection to the Kree. So I don't know. I mean, Brian Reed, who also who's writing this, who did the Illuminati, he's also has stated that there are crees on Earth and that there, are, and so that might play into this book as well. So I don't know. I mean, from the last panel, it says, Tony Stark is saying that Miss Marvel is a scroll, but until I see Miss Marvel as a scroll, I guess I'm not going to believe it.
0: Hmm, that'd be interesting.
1: Who knows? Maybe Stark's a scroll and he's just trying to throw everyone off the scent.
0: Well, I don't know, that'd, be, that'd be... That'd be too easy. easy. Yeah, they're <laughs> yeah. not going to do that. So, well, anyways. So, Teen Titans, number year one, number two, right. which uh, showcases Aqualad, uh, a character... Out of all five original Teen Titans, he's probably the one I know least about. And he's always been kind of the quiet character. Mm-hmm. And yet, in this book, they seem to make him like just the... I'm a <laughs> I, I, I don't know, most sickly character? I don't know, he's kind of a spaz, but it's kind of funny to watch as well.
1: He's a comic relief.
0: He is, and he, he, to me, like, he seems, especially when you're a teenager, there's a, there's always that one kid who really has trouble fitting in. Like you,
1: <laughs> They're just uncomfortable God, in their own body? Yeah,
0: God bless him, he's trying, but, you know, he just, exactly, does, is not comfortable in his own body, and that seems like Aqualad in this book. Yeah, so that's kind of funny. So I can kind of like, because like I can go back in my head to middle school and pick out people like that.
1: That that was you, Eric.
0: Hell no, I was I was Roy Harper.
1: <laughs> not cool. That's not the way I remember it. <laughs> Damn it.
0: <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it's I don't know the, the the art still fantastic. There's, I mean, we've we've gone around block on Carl Kerschel and how good of an yeah, artist. is. it's pretty but amazing stuff. It, no, but it's fun because we not only get to see the Titans, but we also get to see their mentors quite a bit, and having Kerschel draw the mentors is really fun. But uh, there's a lot of kind of, I don't know, introducing the, the rules of the characters where uh, we learn how Aqualette has to stay in water every so long. And they kind of explain this because his lungs aren't well-developed enough. Like, uh-huh. I always knew he had to get, you know, in the water for a certain amount of time, but I never knew why. So it was kind of cool, and uh, I love the scene where they introduced speed, because there was a really, it's a really intense action scene. And the, just the fact that, uh, I, I don't know, there's there's a kineticism in uh, Kershaw's art where the, the tires are screeching and the, the brake lights on cars are blurring across the page. It just looks fantastic.
1: What else has he done other than this? Because I've never heard of him before this. He did a
0: few guest issues on The Flash back when Bart was The Flash.
1: Really? Yeah. I had those, I guess. I just never noticed them. Yeah, it 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 was only like one or two
0: issues, and he was off, and it was just like, oh, come on.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's just cool. I mean, we kind of talked about it earlier, and it's very cool how the the Titans all look the same, but they're different. Like, you know, Roy's a little bit taller, a little bit more lengthy. (laughs) Like you said, Aqualad's a little bit sickly. Um, Tim is this, you know, tiny and skinny, and, you know, Wally really looks like he's a speedster, and... You
0: mean Dick, is... you said Tim.
1: Excuse me, sorry. Come on now. I got the Robin Nazi over here on me.
0: I apologize. Get him right, Get But him no, right. it's
1: really cool, like, every character is different, and then, of course, the last page, we see Donna Choi joining up the mix, and... All the little boys are in awe of the beautiful young girl. It's...
0: Yeah, that that was a great scene too. I just I, I love that coming together moment, and I love the look on Roy's face because he's just kind of like raising one eyebrow like oh, she she's all right.
1: Yeah, he's he's ready.
0: I like that. So uh, I I love this. book. I cannot wait to have this like as a trade on my uh, on my bookshelf.
1: Yeah, it'll be a really good trade. So
0: uh, another book I want to talk about is uh, Brian Woods Northlanders spend the return issue number three and uh, this is the the Viking, Vikings,
1: right? yeah
0: the viking book yeah. with where they talk like normal 21st century people which is kind of weird but uh this is really the first issue that i the book has really jumped out at me i've been kind of reading it so far just to kind of see how it is and it's been somewhat interesting but this one uh we really kind of get inside the character's heads a little bit more we see a little bit of Sven, the main character not being such an asshole in this book he he 's still majorly a creep, but he softens a little bit in this book towards the uh the crazy woman who's living on the cliff who's been shooting arrows at him a little bit throughout this <laughs> story it's it's actually been pretty funny
1: but uh, like a heartwarming tale
0: yeah it is no uh, we also get introduced to or we 've been introduced to his uh, his first girlfriend from when he was younger she since he 's been gone she 's been used by his uncle as kind of uh, I guess, kind of the the castle wench or or something like that. Basically, she's used for sex, and she looks at Sven as kind of a way to get out of that world. And he kind of looks at her, in general, the way he looks at the rest of his country. That uh, they both have just fallen so much in his eyes, and he has no use for them anymore. And even though he lets her spend the night with him, he is not going to take her away from any of this. He has no intention of. of of leaving with her because he doesn't part of it he doesn't want to be reminded of that place and he has no interest in having any ties with it either so that was kind of an interesting development but um good action great art artistry in this book uh there's some really funny kind of scenes where Sven plays upon his uncle's uh, superstitions and he attacks his uncle's men wearing the head of a deer and his you know the men go back oh we're attacked by crazy deer men and, I don't know. There's there's some funny moments in it too, but it, it is incredibly gory, incredibly graphic. But it's it's a great Vertigo book. It's it's a little different. It's not very sci-fi or anything like that. It's it's definitely more like historical fiction. With like I said, the caveat that they speak like they live in the 21st century, which is kind of kind of odd every once in a while, but still actually a, a really good book. So I'm I'm enjoying it quite a bit. Okay, so for the top five this week, uh, we were trying to find a topic that we haven't touched upon yet, and I was thinking, okay, there's been a lot of influential issues or or uh, books and comics, and, and I'm not talking about runs of series. I'm talking about, like, there's a standout issue every once in a while that kind of pulled the community back or, or pulled them together and uh, kind of made comics stand out a little bit and, and were a turning point in the medium. So I kind of wanted to highlight those books this week and so starting off with my top five my number five book was Green Lantern Green Arrow number 85 and this was by Danny O'Neill and Neil Adams and this was the issue where uh, Green Arrow and Green Lantern had been traveling uh across country for a long time and Roy uh Green Lantern's sidekick or Green Arrow's sidekick excuse me had become neglected and left alone and he had fallen into drugs and he was using heroin. And this is the issue where Green Arrow finds out about it. And before this, uh, I'm I'm not sure if... I think these guys tackled it before Spider-Man did with uh, Harry Osborn. But drug use wasn't really an issue touched upon in comics. So that was... Especially this book was very much trying to bring real world issues into the book and through the microscope of you know a comic book medium you know with superheroes and stuff but, but touching on real world issues to make people aware of them and to make people kind of have a better understanding of them and not just you know oh the bad guys are, are using heroin and they're bad you know they had a hero a young hero who was a teenager right. at the time using heroin and it was kind of so,
1: you yeah, know, probably it, something that's that's one of those things that nowadays they wouldn't be able to do it probably.
0: Well, yeah, but also if if they did do it, I don't think people would would uh, flinch so much at it either because it is something yeah. that people are more aware of now it's it's coming from. You know, everyone, you know, from our generation and up grew up with just say no. Well, this was about mm-hmm. 10 years prior to that. So, I think it was a really revolutionary moment in comics, a uh, really revolutionary issue. It's it's still been a, a kind of a key factor in Roy's past. Uh he's even when he joined the Justice League he went to Dinah first because unfortunately when Oliver found out, Oliver punched him and kicked him out of the house and Green Lantern took him to Dinah, Black Canary, and she's the one who helped him through it and you know, went through his withdrawals and treated him. So really they, they have a bond too, as much as, as him and Oliver do. So uh, it's, it's always been something that's been kind of in the background. He's really can't come out of that as a, a prominent character. He is, he is one of the bigger legacy characters, again. So I thought that was... That's definitely my number five.
1: Okay. Um, my, my top five are the same things. Mine had a little bit more... I, I don't have single issues. I have a couple single issues. I can't exactly re- recall what they were, but mine kind of have a little... A whole idea behind something. And my number 5 was when we found out that Spawn was actually an African American.
0: Oh, good one.
1: And um you know Image came out in the 90s and it was very it was, it was it was exactly what DC and Marvel was, you know, wasn't. It was just very in your face and it was very gritty and dirty and just over the top. And it was very you know, it was, it was adult basically. And, you know, Spawn came out, and Spawn ended up being, like, one of the breakout hits. But the whole thing about Spawn is that you never saw him without the mask. You knew there was this this character, and you didn't know anything about him. We had flashbacks to people that were in his life, but you didn't know anything about the actual character. And then it turns out that he was black. And, I mean, at this point, I'm not sure how old we were. I was probably, we were probably, like, 13, maybe 12, something like that. And And Spawn yeah and I I read Spawn a little bit every now and then I mean obviously Spawn wasn't really tailored to me yeah but it, it was a big book back then when it was first out yeah I mean it was one of those things where like it it exploded and so I took it up every now and then but even not reading it I mean you know like you know being a young black kid reading comics it was nice to know and nice to hear that there was like this big huge book that everyone was paying attention to, and it turns out it's a black superhero. Yeah. So, and that was a but big that was a big a, deal for me.
0: You had a lot of, of of kind of big name black superheroes coming out at that time. Um, Bishop was out. A Bishop big, a
1: came big, out a couple, probably a couple years later though. Oh,
0: was it later? Well, you also had Steel around that time too.
1: Steel, yeah, Steel did come through with uh, that's Superman. But that so, was
0: that wasn't like a. a it wasn't like you—you you were thinking you—you—you you, you knew who he was from the get-go, though, too.
1: Exactly. I think it was kind of like—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm sure that some people are probably upset about it. I mean, you know, there's there's those people out there, but it was just kind of um, a pleasant surprise to know that. I mean, because that was the big mystery of the book. It's like you don't know who this character is, and then you find out he's black. You're like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Well, that's definitely an influential moment. So, yeah. Yeah. Good
1: pick.
0: Uh, my number four influential comic of all time is Amazing Spider-Man number one twenty-one, and this is the death of Gwen Stacy. <laughs> you groan. grown. I say this. Oh, Gwen! I, I say this because death has become a very common factor in superhero comics. Uh, right. You know, sidekicks, superheroes, friends, family. They, they're getting knocked off all the time it seems and it's it's more of a stunt than anything nowadays but I, you know I'd say going back there's you know and, and there's it's not like people hadn't died in comics before but it's always usually an origin character like Uncle Ben or Bruce Wayne's parents or something like that and they're characters that you never really know except through people's memories of them but Gwen Stacy is the first character that I can recall I believe she was prior to Jean Grey dying
1: Uh, Gwen. Oh yeah, Gwen was Gwen was first. Yeah,
0: that's that's what I thought. And uh, she was a character who she was a main character in a book, and people knew her, they cared about her. Uh, She was a major character in in Peter Parker's life and Spider Man's, Mm -hmm. and then the Green Goblin killed her, and and that was the first time I believe that a major supporting cast member in a comic book died. And I
1: think well, and the the big thing about it was that you never even knew how she died because it it's more about the fact that Peter killed her because the goblin knocks her off the building, but Peter saves her with his web and her neck snaps from her from him saving her. And that that's like the, that was the big deal about it though.
0: Right. Right. But but in an influential term, I mean after that I mean you had Gene Grey, you had Jason Todd and yeah. more and more and more and more toward now people get killed off in books left and right, but you never saw that before this.
1: No, so, no, that, that was like the first. That was, yeah. that was a big deal.
0: So that was really an influential moment, and that was before death was a gimmick in a book. Yeah, well, So That I was just good storytelling. One. So, And that's something that's still reverberated throughout the book to this day, yep. or or at least until a few months ago. Uh,
1: my number four is... I I tried to find the issue online and I couldn't find it. It was driving me crazy. But it's uh, Uncanny X-Men it's probably in the 280's. It's right after the Executioner song. And in the Executioner song storyline Xavier got shot by Stripe who was a clone of Cable. And the whole storyline revolved around Cable and Stripe and who they were. But through the whole storyline Xavier was in a coma. And he was on the brink of dying and kinda of similar to what we're talking about now with, with Messiah Complex. But this story. Yeah. But it was really good because he he got infected with the virus and it turned out that only Apocalypse could save him and you were really like right there with him and like you really didn't know if he was gonna make it out. And and the issue after the Executioner song wrapped up, you know, he's he gets better and you find out that he has the ability to walk for a while afterwards and its effect of the the techno virus being in his body so all this issue focuses on is him and Jubilee and you see you see him basically through Jubilee's eyes and it's they kind of just spend the day together and it's kind of a father daughter thing where he's kind of talking to her about all these real life things and she's basically saying you know you've been through so much you just need to relax and enjoy life, so she she takes some rollerblading. They go have lunch, and there's a one point at the very end of of the issue where he's walking away after this day, and you can tell he's happy, and he starts to like lose his ability to walk. And at this point, Jubilee is just looking at him, and Jubilee just starts to cry because she you know she loves the professor, and she just wants him to like you know have his life back and. To have the ability to walk. And you see, like, the silhouette of him, like, starting to walk away. And then he's starting to hunch over. And she's just about to lose it. And then at the very end, you see you see her walk up beside him and kind of hold him together and then walk him to his wheelchair. And I, I remember being a kid and just being, like, so emotional and, like, so wrapped up in that. And, I mean, even now today, when I think about that, like, it just it just moves me. And, it, like, it was so well done because it was from Jubilee's point of view, which made it so, like, more more effective, like, so right in your face. And that's my number four pick.
0: Okay. Uh, my number three pick uh, for most influential is Watchmen number one. <clears throat> and this goes into, this book, along with some others that I'm going to talk about, ushered in my favorite era of comics. And that's when things became gritty and realistic and it has a lot to answer for as well the the thing about Watchmen is it it did push you into this very real-world very gritty atmosphere much like the original Tim Burton Batman movie like the the city is pretty much the same city that you see on film and in, in the book even though you know Watchmen is not a Batman story by any means but it's the same type of feeling and atmosphere it's dangerous and it's a very adult theme, and it doesn't, it doesn't dumb things down. And that was, again, the first time. Things were coming out of the Silver Age, and they started getting a little bit better in the 70s, but this was the first time a book came out, and you could hold it up to someone and say, you know, this this is a comic book, but by no means is it meant for a kid. And so I think Watchmen really ushered in the era, the era of adult-oriented comic books. And, and like I said, it does have a lot to answer for, because what happened with this, and a lot of Frank Miller work, is you have to be really good to do it. And Alan Moore and Frank Miller are, and Frank Miller's kind of lost it since then. Well,
1: yeah, I was about to say were.
0: <laughs> yeah. But the problem is, uh, it became very popular to be Grim and Gritty. And so what we saw later on in the late 80s, and more especially in the 90s, before the comic book collapses, you had everybody being gritty and dark and, and things got away from realistic and got pseudo realistic and the problem was you have to be very very a very good storyteller to tell that type of story and if you're not you're going to do it poorly and then it just comes across as sloppy and uncohesive and you have a bunch of crap out there you know a bunch of lightweight imitation and the market was flooded with stuff like that unfortunately mm-hmm. But, you know, the Grim and Gritty, you know, you can kind of laugh and be like, oh, yeah, whatever, N- nowadays. But back then, in the you know, it was 1985. So, I mean, things were still a bit hokey back then. And to have that come through, that that's a breath of fresh air at that time. And that, yeah. like I said, that ushered in probably, you know, some of my favorite comics. My favorite comics that I love personally wouldn't exist without Watchmen. Yeah, that's a good
1: one. Um, my number three, it, it drives me crazy because it's a Spider-Man book that's come out within the past maybe four years, but I don't know what it was. I, I can't find it anywhere. Um, I'm not sure if it was an annual, but it's basically a story of, it was like a guy and his brother, and his brother is mentally retarded and in a real wheelchair, and you see that the brother loves like being on the rooftops of New York City. And throughout the course of the story, uh, the guy basically rolls his brother up to the rooftop. And the brother just loves sitting there and just watching the city. And throughout the course of the issue, the brother is watching Spider-Man fight a villain. I think it's, um, I think it's the vulture. And so you're seeing it from his brother's point of eyes. And he just thinks it's like the best thing ever. And when the battle wraps up, Peter sees that he was um, watching the whole time. And Peter comes over and he talks to the kid and this was before the unmasking and everything and peter was you know this was a great use of his secret identity and you know having to keep it secret because he just starts talking to the kid and the kid can't respond and he can't really talk but peter takes off his mask and he basically just starts telling him his life story and he starts telling about ben and everything and he starts telling about like what What it's like to be spider man and and how it feels and like the troubles of it, and he just starts talking to this kid and you realize that while you're looking at it, you would think that it it was supposed to be Peter is helping this kid, but in reality, what like Peter really needs is just someone there to listen, and that's what this this um young man is providing for him and
0: so really it's the kid helping spider man out
1: yes. And it, it, it's amazing. It's a very, very powerful issue. And just like that, I mean, you, there's a lot of people out there who, when they hear Spider-Man, they think of superhero comics, they, they think of something like Stanley and Jack Kirby, which, God bless them, I still love that stuff, but, you know, comics are different now. And I th- this is like a single issue that if you gave it to someone, I mean, this would really blow their mind to know that there's so much depth and emotion in comic books now. And this was this was a great example of that, and so I will find out what it was, and I'll put it on the side or something because it's just it's one of the best single issues I've read in my entire life.
0: Hmm, very cool. Okay, well, uh, my number two for most influential was uh, issue number four, which is the final issue of The Dark Knight Returns: The Dark Knight Falls. Okay, and uh, you know, I, I could I could very easily add The Dark Knight Returns as Part of my Watchmen pick for the last issue is being, being probably the other book with Watchmen that ushered in the the age of grim and gritty. But I'm gonna pick. I'm picking this for a different reason, and basically, it's because it is done probably the most harm to Superman's character that he is still <laughs> yet to recover from. Uh, throughout throughout the series, Rick
1: Miller really hates Superman, doesn't he? He
0: really does, and I feel bad because, like, you know, it, as much as we all love Superman. I, I still don't think he's he's really recovered from Frank Miller's abuse from this book. And what has happened in throughout the story is while Bruce Wayne has been in hiding and all the heroes have, have gone off and, into retirement, uh, Superman has to do things low-key. And the way he was able to do that was he became an agent of the U.S. government. And he's kind of deployed as kind of a secret weapon. No one knows he's out there doing stuff, but he's out there... Fighting wars and winning battles for the U.S. and uh, throughout the story, you know, it becomes very clear that Clark or that Bruce really despises Clark for what he's done for kind of selling out the heroes and just becoming a lapdog and stuff like that to Ronald Reagan. And uh, there's a lot of animosity back and forth. And before this, you know, Superman and Batman were friends in the books. You know, they they were pals. They they didn't fight. Right. And this was the first time you ever saw the two characters at odds, and this has followed through ever since to Kingdom Come, to a, a, a numerous other stories where they've just been bickering, and now they're kind of back to being pals. But there's still there's still a little bit of underlying tension. You know, you're like like under the surface, eh, you're an idiot type of thing. Right below that, but this was the first time it really came out, and the book ended with Superman and Batman fighting each other, and Batman dying, and and Clark kind of had... Clark and having to live with that, and um, it, it was a, it's an incredibly powerful book, and, and it even kind of redeems Superman a little bit in the end, which Frank Miller just blew all to hell in The Dark Knight Strikes Again. But I don't even <laughs> want to acknowledge that book ever existed. But um, I, I, I just feel bad because I don't feel like Superman. You know, he he is the big Boy Scout, but I think he's always kind of had that pall over him that he is kind of a lapdog. He is very naive in his in his view of things. And he's just not dim-witted, but can't take in the whole picture. And I think that's really Frank Miller knocking him across the face in the mid-eighties, and it yet to wipe off.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: So, unfortunately, you know, every, every, I think every writer who's written Superman, especially in you know when he gets the stars in other books, has kind of looked at him that way except maybe yeah. recently, because i think recently now finally we're getting to an age where well,
1: johns i mean jeff johns is on the book and jeff johns has stated that he plans to do like next year as superman he plans to do a superman what he did with green lantern this year yeah like superman is supposed to be a huge which has, i mean Superman need? You, you haven't seen that since the death of superman
0: yeah exactly exactly and i think you have a lot of Especially, we've talked about this. You know, DC. You have a lot of writers now that are fond of the Silver Age, and I think they want that type of admiration for Superman back in the book. Right. And they've really right. been infusing that throughout the last two years. That you know, the the admiration and and why we need Superman. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is good. But yeah, definitely that's my number two pick.
1: Okay. <clears throat> um, my number two pick is New Frontier. Oh, very good. And, you know, I I don't know how, and I'm, I think I've talked about this before, but I I'd never heard of New Frontier until a year ago. And I'm not sure why, but I never heard of it. And Eric told me about it. And it was a funny thing, because the selling point for me is that Eric told me about it, and he kind of told me about the premise, and I was like, you know, I hate the Silver Age. And he's like, no, you really need to try it. And what you told me was that it made you feel like you wanted to go hang out with your grandparents.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I'm like, okay, I'll 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 try it. And, I mean, it it makes you do that, but it just, it goes so much more. I mean, New Frontier definitely goes back to a different time. You know, you might, you could say a better time, you could say a worse time, but it's just a, def- a different time. And that was what's the whole title's about, It's a New Frontier. Everything was new. I mean, it was basically the changing of the world. I mean, you had a displaced exploration and, like, the governments and the world was changing and I can't even imagine what it would have felt like to live back in that time but reading this book you get a very good taste of it basically and the reason why I'm picking New Frontier is that I think more than anything else like New Frontier is a comic that makes you want to change the world like my my first um impulse after reading the book is like i need to go out and i need to do something like i need to volunteer or i need to be a big brother or i need to talk to a kid or like i need to do something in this world to to make a difference
0: yeah
1: and it because i mean it's a heroic tale and it's you have all these superheroes you know and you see them uniting for the first time but it's not about their superpowers are the supervillains. It's just about, like, the unity. I mean, the whole story is about the, you know, the coming together of the JLA for the first time ever.
0: Yeah, well, you had the fallout from World War II and you had the McCarthyism years, which inspired a lot of fear and the, the Soviet Union and stuff like that. But then, you know, with the the arms race and the space race and stuff like that, you really saw the, the ingenuity in, in the human spirit. Right. from that era, and and when I said, you know, it makes me want to go hang out with my grandparents, like, it just, it made me admire that generation so much.
1: Like, yeah, you have, like, so much respect, and I think the greatest part of the, the book is the Martian Manhunter, because seeing things through, you basically see a lot of it through his eyes, because to him, everything is brand new. I mean, he's he's an alien, and so you're seeing everything as... Like, he just sits there and just watches TV, and he starts mimicking everything, and he's just absorbing everything. And I guess that that's what it would have felt like. You know, with everything being new and exciting, everything changing, you would just soak it up. And I've never had a comic book, like, affect me like that. Like, I really felt like I needed to go out and change and, like, do something. And, like, New Frontier is the first thing that I try to force on someone, where I'm like, if if you've never read a book, if you want to know something about comic books, read this. You know, it's it's a little bit hard at first, but you will not be sorry once you get to the end with Kennedy's um, speech, dude. You you want to get up and go out and do something.
0: Yeah, it's it's true. It is it is a very inspiring. It just the the incredible amount of goodwill that you have in you after reading that book is great. Yeah. So, okay, uh, big moment number one, most influential comic book of all time, and. It's 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 pretty easy. I mean it's plain as day, but I had to go with Action Comics number 1. The okay. first first appearance of Superman. Without this comic, most likely none of us would be reading comic books. Probably not. And you know, I I, I before that comic books were just reprints of comic strips in the newspapers. And here you had Superman who was basically you know there there's a lot to be said about the the biblical implications and stuff like that. And, the comparison with him in Moses or, or the, the immigrant story in, into America which was very big at that time too but here it is you have a, a someone who kids especially at the time could look up to who had a strong moral center and had all these amazing powers that just kind of sets your imagination off especially back in 1938 and you know Superman really saved comic books the first time around and yeah they've, they've come and gone since then but I really don't think that... And, and it's true. Superman is the first. Superman is the one that everyone looks to as the example. Right. And, you know, fr- from that you can say, you know, whatever, you know, not Marvel DC, but, you know, without DC there wouldn't be a Marvel. I'm sorry to say it, but it just wouldn't happen. So, you know, Superman's just the influence. He, he in both the comic community and the real world. And so I think without that... Who, who knows where comic books would have gone you know it could have been the sci-fi and mystery and pulp and stuff like pulp comics were very big before that too but you know let, let's face it 99% of comic book readers are out there reading superhero stories and Superman is is the first and so I, I had to say that's probably the most influential book comic book that has ever been produced
1: okay alright I had a little different take um my number one is actually a book that we just uh, we just brought up, oddly enough. And my number one is the miniseries "Truth: Red, White, and Black."
0: Oh, good one.
1: Um, like we talked about a couple a couple episodes ago, "Truth: Red, White, and Black" is the story of Captain America and the Super Soldier Serum, but back in the forties, um, it's the idea that before they. Had the serum approved, and they used it on Steve Rogers, that they tested the serum on black soldiers. And I, the first reason why I have to pick this is that this was an incredibly ballsy move, especially when you're associating it with Captain America.
0: That's true. This is very true.
1: I mean, they're not. You, you wouldn't do something like this and associate it with Superman for the most part. And so when you do this, and you associate it with like the all-American flagship character, you know? Like, that's kind of a big deal. And that's a gutsy move for Marvel to make. And, you know, this... This miniseries in the story, while it's an extremely heroic tale, it is just... so depressing. It's horrible. And, I mean, it starts with a lot of... of soldiers being tested and going through the motions, and then it a lot of them pretty much all of them die and only one really survives and only one is able to um really utilize the formula and that's Isaiah Bradley and you know you go through and you see that he I mean he's not even given the mantle of Captain America he basically steals it and he said I'm going you know he just says I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it for my country and it's just you know there's allegories uh, uh, galore and there's so much depth but Later on to the series, you see that all of this is being told as a flashback, basically. And Steve Rogers, Captain America, is talking to his wife. And so she's basically telling him the story for the first time. And that's, like, a very powerful impact there, because you're seeing Steve Rogers' reaction to this. So, obviously, like I said before, being a black male, this was... A huge deal for me and it was something that I was so happy to see in comic books you know it makes me you know it makes me I'm always proud to be a comic reader but when I see something like this an issue like this being tackled it makes me very proud to be a comic reader and I mean that's something that's going to move me obviously in ways that's not going to move other people but I know it's something that's going to move anyone who would read it so there really isn't anything I could recommend more than picking that up. You know, just know what you're getting into, and it's pretty, it's pretty in your face. But it's a it's an ugly beautiful story. is basically how I put it.
0: That's hmm. an interesting, interesting way to put it. But yeah, that that is. I, I just found out because I found out about it from you, and I really want to go back and read it. But like I thought about that, and I was like, that is that is a very mm-hmm ballsy moving, and, and kudos to marvel for doing it with such a bull like you said with captain america
1: yeah i mean and <laughs> it, it, it worked out you know and and it's cool like you know because we talked about patriot it's cool that not only did it work out but it's something that they've kind of you know put in continuity and like we're seeing a good character like patriot you know he's the fallout from a story like that and so that just that's great
0: yeah so just just to add that into uh, the legacy of the of the mantle of Captain America, I thought it was incredible because it would have been very very easy to create a pseudo Captain America character and play the story out that way.
1: Right. But, but when
0: when you incorporate it with someone big, but then also someone who's big, you know, because because with Captain America you're also looking at U.S. government, the country, mm-hmm. policy, the the era the the story is in question, and uh, you have a a much larger looking glass, I guess, to put it through. But um, at the same time, it, it's much bigger and it's much more pivotal because you're tied to that name. Right. So yeah, I, that's incredibly ballsy, and and I'm I'm very excited that it paid off for Marvel, and I, I do really want to go back and read that. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just happy that it it just went well, you know, and I think that shows a lot about how far, you know, we as people have come, and definitely how far the comic book industry has come.
0: Yeah. And it's wonderful that that can be explored in a comic book. You know, I mean, that, you know, kids can pick this up and and learn through the medium. So, okay, well, that does it for our top five. Um, David had a little bit of comic news this week.
1: Yeah, it's nothing good, though. Okay. (laughs) So... Well, no, I'm good. <laughs> I've been depressed about Mark Bagley leaving Marvel, going to DC, and turns out that Bagley is going there, and he's going to be working on DC's third weekly series titled Trinity. And Trinity is going to be a weekly following uh, the tales of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. And it's going to be written by Kurt Busiek and. Apparently it's going to be 22 pages, and Bagley and Busick are going to do the first 12 pages in every book, and then there's going to be a 10-page follow-up in every book. And they haven't really talked about... The deal said that the follow-ups were going to explore some of the Trinity, and then some new characters in DCU, and then some random characters. So I don't know. I mean... Honestly, if Bagley wasn't tied to this, I would not be buying another DC weekly series. I'm tired of them. I think <laughs> I think they don't really work, you know. I think I don't know. I think I
0: think they work. I'm just I'm I'm happy to hear that this one's just going to be kind of a a book about the Trinity, but not be a crisis related book.
1: See, but the whole thing is that I honestly don't feel like I want to read about the Trinity for a year straight. Like, I have it. no desire to, to read that.
0: This sounds like... This book sounds to me like it's more like what Amazing Spider-Man is now. Like, it's just adventures. You can pick it up when you want to. You can drop it when you want to. You don't have to read it every 52 issues.
1: Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, and the said that it's not going to be connected to anything, and it's not really going to be connected to... Their individual comics, either, but it's gonna it's gonna be self contained, but it's gonna kind of branch off a little bit. And I mean, I th- he, he looks like he really has learned from Countdown, and I think everyone at DC is willing to admit that Countdown was it wasn't very, structured very well, and you know, it wasn't it was a success, but it wasn't you know. It was so a
0: project, is what it was.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it wasn't fifty two, but they learned a lot of things from it. And, I don't know, I mean, Bagley's a great artist, and Bagley's really quick, so, he's a great person to put on a weekly series, and Busick, I don't know, I'm kind of hit and miss with Busick, but, apparently this is, this is a story that he's wanted to do for a while. Hmm. So, I don't know, I mean, it could be good.
0: I really like Bagley's Wonder Woman.
1: I really like anything that Bagley does.
0: <laughs> well, that's that's true, so, well, that's exciting. So uh, if you have a top five of your own that you would like us to do on the show or any questions for us, you can email us at contact at fanboystrikeback.com. You can also go to our website at www.fanboystrikeback.com, and that is where we post our written reviews, my friends. Uh, We have all kinds of treats on there for you, as well as a preview of Bagley's new project, which features the big three. And uh, good too. we're also we also put movie trailers on there, and uh, which one of them that will be most likely going up later this week? The Indiana Jones trailer premieres on Thursday.
1: Yeah, so it's uh, damn time.
0: Be uh, be looking for that soon on FanboysStrikeBack dot com. So uh, with that, we also have a link to our forums on there, and uh, you can come on, join a topic thread, or start a thread of your own. It's a good way to uh, get our opinions of things that we don't talk about during the show. If you have uh, something you want to talk about that we didn't address. And, uh, yeah, Uh, you can also find us on iTunes.
1: Yeah, hit up iTunes, Podcast Alley, uh, any podcatcher out there. Uh, If you do listen to the show and you like it, leave us a review. um, And then just leave us feedback. You know, what you like, what you don't like. Any feedback is good feedback. We're always trying to improve the show. And I think that's it. After talking about all those books now, I feel like I need to go out and do something that kind of sucks
0: ah <laughs> uh, the inspiration is wearing off yeah <laughs> so that does it for us this week uh we'll be back next week and until then I'm Merrick. Don't I'm David see you guys next you time don't let it get you
1: down don't let it get you down